Folks, I'm also excited to announce that this podcast is brought to you by RX Bar. You've heard me talk about it in the show, um, but now it is official. So this episode is brought to you by the company I work for, RX Bar. Uh, if you haven't heard of us, you know we make most we're most well known for making protein bars with core ingredients right on the front. So you might have seen them before. They have the amount of egg whites, you know, nuts, dates. Uh, all the information of our core ingredients right there on the front of the packaging, uh, simple ingredients and um, bright colors is really the way I always like to explain it to people. Um, they have 12 grams of protein made with real simple food. We have indulgent chocolate sea salt, rich peanut butter and chocolate and tasty blueberry. But those are only a few. We've got thousands. No, just kidding. But with 17 flavors, there's plenty to choose from at rxbar.com. Rx Bar, simple good. And that's that's the uh, ad they wanted me to say. But I also wanted to go a little bit off the script. Um, you know, I've been at RX Bar now for almost three years. I have been, you know, into the health and wellness space for a while. And when I stumbled upon RX Bars for the first time, it was one of the, you know, first brands that I ever came across where they actually put the shit on that's in the packaging, the food you eat on the front. And, you know, after working there for three years, getting to know the founders, uh, you know, the executive team and working closely with all of them, um, it's it's really true. You know, the last main core ingredient we put on the front is no BS. And obviously, we all know what that stands for, but it's true. It's it's the way we operate as a company. We are very transparent and we don't lie about what we do and we don't lie about what goes in the food. So for me, it's been an amazing journey working at RX Bar, and I'm pumped to have them a part of the podcast. So, you know, everything in the RX Bar has a purpose, and that's something that I think really resonates with me. I mean, our egg whites are for protein, nuts are for texture, dates are to bind the bar, and everything is in there for taste. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pumped to have them a part of the podcast, Simply Finance with Shane White. Um, this has kind of been a dream of mine to finally start this and I'm and pumped to have their support. So everyone, if you want to check out, um, rxbar.com, I will add the link in the show notes. And of course we don't have just bars at this point. We have got lots of delicious and healthy products, including minis, which are smaller versions of our adult bar. We've got kids bars. We've got layers bars, which, uh, are this decadent combination of an RX bar with nut butter. Um, we have nut butters, uh, which come in single serve and multi serve, uh, and we have oats. So all of them come with simple ingredients. Um, they have, you know, the core ingredients on the front. It's it's the main component of our packaging, and really the way we go to market. So would love for you guys to check it out. If you want to check out any of our products, you can go to rxbar.com and, and use code REALFOOD, R-E-A-L-F-O-O-D, 20 for 20% off all online purchases. So thanks, RxBar, for being a part of the podcast, and our show will be up right after this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. Today is episode 72, and before I jump in, I just wanted to let everyone know that today is uh, back to another 101 type podcast. So if you're not into those uh, and you want to go back and listen to an interview, there are plenty of those you can go through. Since I've been talking to a lot of founders um, in the world and on this podcast, I thought it'd be fun to do a startup funding 101. And there's two parts to this. I'm going to do one today and probably another one later this week. 
But today is around sources of capital. So if you're someone who is just interested in this topic, want to learn more, or if you're someone who is starting a company or wanting to start a company and wants to understand the different sources of startup capital, that's what today's episode is all about. So without further ado, Startup Funding 101 Sources of Capital is right after this. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I'm excited about this one today. Um, I thought this would be a fun episode to put together. For me, um, there was a little bit of research that went into this one. And, you know, I have a high level understanding of, um, you know, sources of capital and startup business funding. Um, but because I've been interviewing all of these founders on the podcast, I thought what would be a better topic to cover as, uh, you know, th- this week has been a little bit slower as far as guests, uh, than to go into a few different topics around startup funding. So uh, for all of you who've listened to some of the, f- the founders series, and there's quite a few now, um, we've touched on startup funding a few different times. And so today's episode is part one of the 101, and it's going to be around sources of capital. So who are the types of people or groups that you can raise money from, and what are the pros and cons of all these different groups? That's what today is all about. Uh, The next one we'll record is going to be um, around the types of rounds. So you've probably heard of things like seed rounds or series A, B, blah, blah, blah rounds. Um, that'll be tomorrow. So that's, or not necessarily tomorrow, but soon. And, uh, that is basically the dip. That's the the other side of startup funding. But I think to understand, before we get to that, we really need to walk through and talk about the sources of capital and the types of groups that present funding. So to jump right in, um, there are essentially four sources of startup capital and, you probably all have heard these names thrown around, but two of these um, are different groups that kind of have their own reason for being, for lack of better words, okay? So the first one and the most common startup capital source is what's called venture capitalists. And if you think of venture capital, that is uh, essentially a venture is a a company or a large group. And there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of technicalities to these, but these are made up of what's called funds. And funds are just a pool of money. So if you think about uh, a ven- venture capital firm, they are there's no necessarily minimum or maximum that they can manage, but a lot of them are in the you know millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fund money, especially the big ones. Some of the larger ones have billions of dollars under management. And so... These are made up of partners, so um, you know people that actually make the decisions on on who these venture capitalists are going to invest in, as far as the companies. Um, and then there's also uh, limited partners, which are people who are putting money into these funds. Which then their hope is these funds are used to invest in these startups, and then of course they'll sell someday and they'll make their money back that way. So. Venture capitalists and just venture firms, and the nickname for them, this is probably what you've all heard, is just VCs. Um, if you 
have ever heard of that, I mean, there we could go down a whole rabbit hole and a whole episode of you know what makes up a VC and all the technicalities behind it. I'm going to save that for a later time. So if you'd like to learn more about venture capitalists, I would I would put a uh, a pin in that and wait for another episode, or go out and do some of your own research because there's a lot you can learn about venture capitalists. That's a big uh, industry for people in finance, like myself. If you come out of college, that is one one avenue you can go into. You know, VCs and VCs are known for the crazy, you know, eighty hour work weeks with um, you know lots of stress, um, and uh, but they pay very very well. So it is a popular space to go into. Um, traditional uh, limited partners, which are the people investing in these VC firms, uh, they can include pension funds. So you think of uh, you know actual funds at large companies. Um, that are you you know if you if you receive a pension which doesn't really exist anymore but it used to be if you worked at a company for so many years and then retired from that company a lot of our you know parents and grandparents had pension funds um, then you would continue to make money from the company after you retired uh, a lot of that's gone now but they'll sometimes use those pension funds to invest in VCs and of course they're hoping they get a high ROI or a high return on some of these investments. They're also made up sometimes of university endowments, um, just family offices that, you know, families with lots of wealth, or a lot of times they're ultra high net worth individuals. Um, and the people that, you know, a lot of very wealthy people and not necessarily just like, you know, your Jeff Bezos or your Mark Zuckerbergs who have also used a lot of their money to reinvest in other companies. Uh, but you know, even like athletes, right? A lot of athletes end up getting into this and putting money into some of these pools and not necessarily venture capitalists or VCs, but, uh, some of these other ones we'll talk about. Uh, and it's interesting too. This was something new I didn't know much about, but globally venture capitalists, uh, in some regions of the world, like the middle East or China, um, they actually have local governments invest in some of their funds to drive ROI for the fund and as well as boost the actual economy of the country. So not something that happens here in the US, but around the world, you actually do see some, you know, national governments that end up uh, investing in venture capitals. So that's what it, that's number one of the four. So that's the most probably well known. Um, that has the biggest, you know, pools of money. Um, and we'll get into the pros and cons of them, but that's number one. Number two, angel investors. So angels, as they're called a lot of times, um, are usually just an individual. So one person. So let's just say, for example, you know, you or I end up having a lot of money for whatever reason. And um, we either A, want to just give back to the startup community. That happens quite a bit. Um, you know, could be an ego thing where, uh, someone who's done really well wants to say, Hey, I was an investor in, you know, X, Y, Z, or, um, it could just be someone who, you know, that's the way they want, instead of investing in the stock market or, you know, saving cash, uh, they want to spend that cash on an investment. Hopefully, you know, you get a 10 or a hundred X return. So an, an, an angel investor is truly just an individual investor. So it's someone just like you or me, they literally, you know, might have a coffee with a founder of a company, love what they're doing. And be like, hey, I'll write you a check today for 50K. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely the easiest way to raise money as far just in general of um, the ease legality wise, because it's just an individual investor giving their very own money. Um, but again, there's pros and cons to all of these. That's number two. Number three is angel groups. So just think of angels, like I just mentioned, as the second source of startup capital. But 
group together. So a lot of times angels will come together and form their own angel groups where they group their money into larger pools. Um, for them, it allows them to share obviously money and funds, but then expertise, contacts, knowledge so that the group as a whole. So just think of, you know, if you and five of your buddies end up becoming very wealthy, maybe you'll start an angel group and then you guys will vet opportunities together and pull your money into startup investments yourself. And then the last one is called a syndicate, which this is newer. It's only about a decade, maybe two decades old. Um, and they're similar to angel groups, but they allow a group to invest through a, what's called an SPV, which stands for a special purpose vehicle. And really all that means is that instead of, you know, you and your buddies coming up, you and your angel buddies coming up with a group, um, this is like a legal, a legal option for up to 99 investors to all go into a syndicate. And then that syndicate becomes like one thing. So you can, you would call the, you know, the syndicate could be like Shane, Shane White investments. It could be 99 investors behind me that all gave a thousand dollars. And then, you know, we come with $99,000 and we, we stand as one person. So that's the difference too. In an angel group, technically angels could give, you know, different amounts of money into, um, one investment, you know, a syndicate is meant to be for a cap table, which that's also something we're not going to go deep into today. But if you think of any company and any company raising money, it, it will have something called a cap table and quickly I'll, I'll just jump into it. So a cap table is just, okay, let's say like you and me start a company. I'm Shane, you're the listener. Um, let's say, let's just, we start off the company 50, 50, right? We don't, we're just starting at day one today. We're making our website or whatever it is. And we, uh, we both own 50% of the company as if we end up getting a syndicate to be our first real investor in the company, then instead of there being 99 people that all get little pieces of the pie, right? Cause you remember if, if we're a company and you and I split 50, 50, looking at that piece of pie, I have half of it and you have half of it. We both own 50%. As soon as you bring in any of these sources of capital, now we both have to give up part of our little pie right? Like we, we both had to give up part of our 50%. And so instead of a syndicate, that's a way you can get, you know, hopefully a larger sum of money if you need it. Um, instead of it coming in with, you know, let's say that, let's say it caps out, there's 99 investors that want to get behind your company or your business or your idea. Instead of giving out 99 little tiny pieces of that pie, you just give out one piece and they share that piece of the pie, if that makes sense. So that's how a syndicate that's how it works. That's kind of the point. And that's the difference between an angel group. An angel group could still come in and get, you know, one piece of the pie. Um, but most likely they'll come in and be like, Hey, I, when I think of an angel group, I actually think of a lot of like shark tank. So those are just, you know, four or five angel investors that are sitting up there. But if any of them do that thing, if you've ever watched shark tank and they look at each other and they're like, Hey, let's go in on this together. That's the way I like to think of an angel group, right? That's like a very, um, I would say uh, loose term for that because they're they, they don't go on the show saying like hey on this you know this deal we're going to come together necessarily they actually might do that I'm not sure but that's what an angel group would be right you have at least two people and they'd be like hey I'll put in fifty or I'll put in you know forty if you put in sixty we'll we'll make a deal here so then you would have you know two people come in as investors they're going to have their own say their own poll their own amount of the total that they own. Um, so syndicates just kind of simplify that by coming in as one, uh, ownership stake. 
So those are the four types, venture capitalists or just VCs is what I'll probably refer to them the rest of the show, uh, angel investors, angel groups, and syndicates. So those are the four sources of, of startup capital. Uh, and the rest of this episode, we're basically going to walk through, um, you know, if you're a company who is looking to raise money through one of these four or multiple avenues, what are the factors to consider? And I'm going to post a link uh, in the show notes. Um, I found a great article that really helps simplify this um, by a name of Matt Ward uh, from medium.com. He's uh, He's got some good articles on here. And this one I thought really broke it down in a great way. I'm just going to take his 11 um, different factors to consider and then kind of add my own twist to it and my own perspective. So the first of the 11 factors we're going to walk through is decision speed, right? So how fast can one of these... Um, one of these groups actually make a decision whether they want to invest in you or not. And we're basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to take for each of these 11, I'm going to take the four different, the four different uh, startup capital source types and just rank them in order. Okay. So uh, the first one being decision speed. Now, obviously uh, this one is pretty obvious. Angels are the best when it comes to decision speed. Like I said, in the beginning, you know, if you or I um, start a company, like let's say I want to, I want to get raise some money for Simply Finance, and I go to coffee in Chicago with an angel investor, he, he or she can make a decision right there while we're having coffee and write me a check. So they, their their decision speed is incredibly fast. The second one is a syndicate. Syndicates usually are, you know, it's a group of angels that are willing to move quickly, um, and usually, you know, they have a group that can move faster. Um, especially since the number of um, investors in the syndicate is usually a lot higher than an angel group. A lot of times an opportunity will come to the syndicate and then all of the members of the syndicate will get to make a decision and they'll, you know, they'll have a timeline and it moves pretty fast. The third one is actually VCs, which is surprising, but a lot of times VCs want to hop on deals. And uh, if, especially if you're a company who is hot and you want to raise money and you're opening a round of funding, which is, you know, the next episode we'll get into, but essentially it's when you're like, Hey, Hey everybody, I'm ready to raise some money. Who wants to jump in? Uh, VCs, if they think it's a good deal, they're going to jump on it pretty quick. Um, you know, this is why these, these guys and analysts work, um, you know, guys and girls, but I'm saying like, this is why the, the VCs work crazy hours is because they do get deals that pop up on their desk pretty frequently. And then they got to turn them around, do the due diligence, which is just running the financial models, making sure it all checks out, making sure nothing um, looks fishy or, uh, you know, they disagree with anything that they're, um, they're putting out and they move fast. And actually, surprisingly enough, do a lot of research that I looked at, uh, you know, leading up to this episode is angel groups are actually the worst when it comes to decision speed. And, and that's really why, if you think about Shark Tank, and that's why I was using them as an as a um, you know an explanation, um, you know, think about Shark Tank. That's kind of how an angel group would work, right? They would maybe have a um, a showcase, like, like an episode of that show where they're like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna all come together as an angel group on you know Saturday, um, October, blah blah blah," and you know, we're gonna get a lineup of of startups that want to pitch to us. And, you know, they might only do that like once a month, once a quarter. They're usually not the kind of, those groups are not built on moving quick and like getting a phone call and be like, Hey, we have an opportunity. We got to do it today. They're like, no, I'm just going to wait for the next round, um, where I hear all these pitches. So that's kind of the ranking of those. Um, the next one 
out of the 11 factors, number two is investment size. Probably from my original explanation of the four types of uh, investment arms, VCs are the best when it comes to size. And obviously investment um, or VCs being number one is really because of the size, right? So a VC is going to have a lot of uh, assets under management, AUM is what those are called. Um, They're built on the bigger the portfolio, the more powerful they become. And they're made up of of tons and tons of investment. So VCs are going to have, you know, the ability to write the bigger check. And we'll get into it later, but that's not necessarily always the best thing, but they just have the ability most of the time to have the largest investment size. The next one, uh, it's kind of a tie. Syndicates and angel groups, usually those are neck and neck with investment size. I mean, obviously you're grouping angels together in both of them. Um, And so, you know, it just depends on the group or the syndicate, but those normally will, you know, are going to be smaller than VCs uh, from a check perspective, um, but they're going to be pretty similar. And then obviously the smallest or, you know, last place would be just loan angels. So the investment size for them, you know, they could write a thousand dollar or $5,000 check because it's a single person. And it's their own personal money. The third factor to consider is price and evaluation. Um, and this is really around like the price that they will value your company at. And then obviously the overall valuation of your company. So the price they're willing to give you for the valuation and the evaluation is just basically the assumed value of your company. And, um, that also could be an entirely other episode on just how you evaluate a company. So, uh, price angels lead the way there, right? Angels are, it's usually a single person, right? And so they're going to have their own expertise, their own opinions on how much your company is valued and how much they were willing to pay for that. But at the end of the day, they don't have an entire team behind them. that's going to do all this due diligence and run extra perspectives and scenarios. So normally, you know, that'll be a little bit easier of a conversation. The second one is angel groups. Again, think of Shark Tank, where, you know, you're you're kind of, you're talking about it live. You're having the back and forth discussion on what you think your valuation should be worth and how much money you want to raise. The third one, syndicates. Um, and this is because syndicates, you know, they're a group and they have the, they usually have the opportunity um, spread across more and more angels to come together and, you know have a perspective on price and evaluation. So they'll do out of the four, they'll do like the second most, I would call it due diligence, which is just like extra work to make sure it all checks out. And then from a price and evaluation, the least is VCs. Like you're going to go through the gamut of understanding your valuation. You're probably going to get a lot. You're going to get every potential hole poked in your, um, your understanding and your belief in the value of your company. And they're going to push you to lower the value so they get a better deal. Number four is control requirements. So and control requirements are just like what they want to control in your company after they give you money. So uh, the best for this is, again, angels. Pretty obvious, but you know it's one person. They're not going to have a ton of pull. And a lot of angels don't want to be involved in the day-to-day. And they, a lot of them don't even want board seats or um, you know board member rights. Some do, but for the most part, that's not necessarily something they they have to have. Um, and you know, if you if you're a company with a board, that just means that's the the group of people that gets to make the the macro or high level decision making. The next one, again, this is going to be a tie between angel groups and syndicates. They're going to want most of the time. They're going to probably as a group of people, they're probably going to want at least like a board seat 
or a say at the table. They're going to want informational rights um, so they can understand the performance of your company and where you're headed. And they might want to have, you know, monthly or quarterly check-ins to understand progress, to give their two cents and tell you what they think you should be doing, all that fun stuff. And then, of course, uh, VCs are going to want the highest control requirements. They normally contractually are going to require a certain amount of board seats. They're going to require um, information at a certain time. Um, they're definitely going to be like a dry run of what it feels like to be owned by a public company. So, you know, they're not going to report anything. So you're not going to get audited the same way, but you're definitely going to have to share information with them on a regular cadence. Number five, outside help. Uh, this one then flips the script from the last one. So from an outside help perspective, VCs definitely lead the way. I mean, they have enormous groups of people who want your company to meet their expectations or exceed their uh, growth requirements. They even, you know, are going to be the ones who are the are invested in finding you the right professional help across the board in all different aspects. So if you get a VC to back you, um, you're definitely going to not have a problem finding outside help. The next one is angel groups. So obviously um, for this, it's because it's, it's less angels in the group. They're going to be more willing to, you know, you can get a hold of them. Usually, you know, have to have check-ins with each of the people in the angel group, um, or maybe you'll meet with the entire angel group at a time, but you'll know them personally. Um, so, you know, getting outside help through them is usually very common. Third is actually syndicates. So syndicates, um, you know, they have the ability to get you outside help, but most of the time you will not have a relationship with all of the uh, members of the syndicate. So you might have, you'll probably have a contact at the syndicate who, you know, is your go-to person as far as, um, you know, communicating information and asking for help. But um, you're not going to know all of the people. Usually if, if 99 people get on board with your company, you're not going to get to meet all 99 most of the time. And then the last one is loan angels. So this is just purely because, you know, they can only help you with as much information as they have, right? Like their contact base um, is your contact base, right? So if, if depending on the loan angel, if they have great contacts, they could get you great outside help. But if they don't have necessarily have experience in the type of help you need, then again, their network is only going to go so far. Number six, we're moving through here. I know we got 11, but these are all, it's interesting to talk through. And I think you guys will all learn a lot from this. So Number six, industry experience. Really all about the same. Um, depending on the VC, I think you could probably have um, you know, a VC that's going to be able to give you better industry experience if they've done investments in your type of industry versus maybe a lone angel who never has. But for the the most part, all of these guys have, you know, and I say guys, could be guys, girls, groups, whatever, you um normally are going to have people who are all relatively the same from industry experience. So number seven, ability to follow on follow and follow on is just basically follow up investments. So let's say, you know, they give you a million dollars today in a year, maybe you're going to need, you know, $10 million. And so that's called a follow on investment. The best for that is VCs. A lot of times VCs, when they give you an initial investment, um, they actually usually reserve money in their funds for follow-on investments. So they actually plan ahead to be like, hey, if we're going to give Simply Finance a million dollars today, let's put $10 million aside for two years from now because they're probably going to need more money to keep growing at the same rate we want them to grow. So they're going to be the best. The next one is syndicates. Because it's a large group of people, they have a lot of plans in place just like a VC would to make sure that they have money set aside for follow-up investments. The next one is angel groups. Again, 
a larger group of people. They're still all angels, but most of the time, if you come back, if you if you had you got an investment from an angel group, you do well, you need more money. A lot of times, angel groups will continue to invest in you. And the last one is loan angels. I mean, a lot of times, a loan angel is just giving you money. They love your idea. But that does not necessarily mean that person's going to have enough money in two, three, four, five, whatever years um, to be able to help you again. You know, it's again, it's their own money. So depending on who else they go invest in, if they burn through all their cash, um, you know, it uh, totally depends on that loan angel's perspective. Number eight is bureaucracy. So bureaucracy just meaning the politics, um, the hoopla of being a part of this investment arm. The best Pretty obvious again, but loan angels. I mean, if you have a single person who's um, invested in your company, you know they want to see you succeed. It's one person you're dealing with, um, and that's it. The second one is a syndicate. This is really because normally, like I said, you're not going to get to know all of the different peoples in the syndicate. So you're going to be dealing with maybe one or a few people from that syndicate when it comes to information or help. So you know, kind of on the flip side of the help, maybe you don't get as you don't get as much help. Um, but you do get, uh, you know, better from a bureaucracy perspective. Third is angel groups. And this is because you're gonna have a group of people who usually have a decent amount of equity in your company who want to do it the way they do it. I think the reason this is ranked third in most cases is because an angel group is all of them are going to want to be involved. And when you have multiple people, all with equity in your company, all having different perspectives on problems and how to solve them that's obviously going to create political issues. And I mean, depending on the group, right. And the hostility of the group, it could create problems. And then obviously last is VCs, you know, you're going to be involved in, you're going to get a lot of money. You're going to get a lot of help. But with what comes with that is a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of politics of being involved with them, jumping through hoops, going through things they need, blah, 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 you know, that whole thing. Common problems. So really like there's not a ton of common problems that I was able to find or really see when it comes to, you know, loan angels, angel groups, syndicates. I mean, we kind of went through the, the pros and cons, but those aren't really major problems. The major common problems really are all VC focused. And it's because the way VCs operate, it, it reminds me a lot of my experience um, in the past um, in my full-time jobs of being, you know, being owned and being in the group of um, a, a publicly held company. And so what happens sometimes, and VCs are famous for this, is you know they're infusing money in you to see you grow at a, and usually you guys are agreeing on a, what's called a multiple, which is like an expectation of like, are you growing fifty percent, a hundred percent, two hundred percent, you know, five hundred percent, a thousand percent, whatever it may be. But you guys are kind of on the same page and agree with it when they give you the money. So what happens is, once that happens, you are incentivized and they are they kind of almost are forcing you to grow at that rate. And what happens is either a you grow at that rate and that's and that's great. And that's, you know, the ones that work really well are the ones that like it all worked out. They did it the way they were they wanted to do it and they grew well. The other ones are they grew the, the at the rate that the VC wanted them to grow at, but they had to cut corners, they had to do make bad long-term decisions for short-term gains and it ultimately ruins the company or you can just get burnt and you don't hit those rates and um the vcs have different clauses and different ways of backing out and kind of screwing over the companies you know that, that's where you've seen some companies like um their ceos get ousted by some boards has been from a vc perspective they've had a lot of power being able to do that um you probably have seen a lot of that in the news 
Uh, and, you know, and there's problems with, you know, raising too much capital. Sometimes VCs try to throw a lot of money at startups and sometimes it's too much. And what happens is you're not growing fast enough. You took on too much money. And then when you go to raise money in later rounds, um, you actually was, you actually call it down, which is it's what it's called. So you're, you basically like, you go from saying like, Hey, my company's worth 10 million today. You take on money from a VC and then you going forward, you're not, you're not growing as fast as you, you thought you would. So now you have to maybe call it down. And now let's say you're, you're saying, Hey, we're only going to be worth 5 million. That's really bad to do and can really ruin long-term fundraising. So that's like the major problems, common problems with VCs. And then really the last one is help with future fundraising. Kind of obvious. Again, I think a lot of these, it's kind of obvious from each of these. Um, but knowing all we know now about VCs, they're the best when it comes to help with future fundraising. Obviously, if if they invest in you once and most of the time they have the ability to follow on with investment, they're also going to be really good about getting more people into the pool or into their own fund to help raise money. It, it benefits them in every way. The next one is syndicates or angel groups. Um, because they're groups of people, they're obviously going to have um, a, a bigger network and the ability to um, you know, get future fundraising available to you and your firm. And then the last one is just loan angels. And again, this one is just because of the network, right? A loan angel is only as good as their own network. So those are the rankings. So I rated all those, but I, uh, I'm not going to rate, you know, which one's the best to the worst. Um, I think it really truly depends. As you know, as we walk through three different factors to consider, it totally depends on your company, the stage of your company, health of your company, and really what you need the money for, right? Um, you know, if you're a company who just needs some cash, wants a little bit of advice, um, but doesn't want to lose a lot of the equity, the power, the control, you know, an angel, um, could be a really good idea or a small angel group. Um, you know, if you're on the flip side and you're a company like Uber or, uh, Facebook and you're growing just at an exponential rate and, you know, especially a lot of these tech companies, that really they're just going to need money to keep the lights on and keep going because they're burning cash, but they have a great idea, probably a, like a world changing idea. And, you know, at some point they know they're going to give up some of their power in order to get money and keep this growth alive. Uh, a VC could be perfect for that. So it really depends on the industry you're in, where you're at in your life cycle uh, and all that. So that's it, folks. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been a fun episode. The next episode is going to be explaining the different rounds and purposes of each fundraising um, round. So I hope you guys will enjoy that one as well. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll be back soon with another one. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, everybody. I just want to remind you guys of a few links that I've added uh, in the show notes. Um, obviously, one of our um, you know key things on here is investing. Uh, we talk about it on a lot of the podcasts. And so if you would like to get into investing, don't know where to start, but you want something that's really user-friendly, you can use it on your, uh, you know, on your phone, on the computer. There's no fees. Uh, it's free to sign up. And actually, if you use the link, you'll get a free stock when you sign up is Robinhood. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the podcast. I just love them. I love their platform and I use it for my investing. So check them out. If you would uh, like to get some ideas for your first investments, or if you just like a fresh place to find companies uh, that I'm interested in, 
You can check out the COVID stock market rebound tracker. That's got a full list of the companies I'm keeping an eye on, uh, the companies that I'm invested in, and uh, what I'm keeping on my radar. And then uh, there's an ad, there's a link in there to check out rxbar.com. It's a company I work for full time, and uh, you know I'm pumped to have them as a part of the podcast. Um, and then uh, we also added Ballot Ready for uh, this episode. So again, that was an ad I had at the beginning of the show. But as a reminder, just get out and vote. It's a it's a website ballotready.org where you can uh, really uh, follow along with your zip code and see all the people running for the different seats, the different positions, not just president, but all the different things. So get, get prepared for this election season. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and uh, we'll be back with a new one soon. Have a great day.